Welcome to American Girlies, the podcast where Canadian historians read the American Girl novels. I'm Sonia Ann. I'm Hannah Spawasser Soroka. And I'm Margo Matthew, and today's book is Meet Samantha by Susan S. Adler. And we're going to do a quick summary and some historical context before we really dive into everything. Yeah, but first I want to ask the all-important question, how is everybody feeling now that we don't have Kirsten Larson in our lives anymore? How are we feeling about our transition from the Midwest to the East Coast, our leap in time? Sweet, sweet relief. I don't know. I'm feeling a little conflicted because you guys promised that things are going to get better with Samantha, but I don't know if I feel like this is better. It's different. It's different, at least. It is different. I'll give you that. Absolutely. I mean, she definitely has her problems, but I did feel like the story construction... The story construction was better, but I think some of the plot points were just even (laughs) more baffling than the ones in Kirsten, which just was a fascinating (laughs) situation all around. Before we get too into our feelings about it, let's uh, run through exactly what happened in Meet Samantha. Um, So we start off meeting Samantha, and she's in a tree. She falls. She scrapes her stuff, scrapes her stockings and her knees, and um, she runs inside and goes upstairs where they apparently keep a seamstress in their house who repairs her stockings for her so that her snooty grandmother doesn't judge her. Um, once she's all presentable, she goes and spends her allotted hour with her grandmother um, and her uncle, who's like a fashionable man about town with an automobile and a girlfriend, shows up and she's like all wowed by that. Um, and then later, the little boy next door tells her that a girl is coming to live with them. She becomes friends with the girl who's there to work in her house or in the next door neighbor's house. Um, her name is Nellie. And she's poor and they don't have enough food and was getting sick working in a factory and she lives there. And then the seamstress leaves for an unexplained reason. And Samantha and the girl go to find her after a while to figure out why she left. It turns out she has a baby. Um, And they get caught and brought back home. And then... (laughs) And then Nellie has to leave because she's coughing a whole bunch and she's going to get fired. And Samantha gives her her fancy doll and then asks grandmother if they can help Nellie. And it ends on a a cliffhanger of whether or not they're going to use all of their fancy money and wealth, automobile money, to help Nellie's family that is apparently starving. Yeah. Well, listen, this means that you got to buy the next book. This is great marketing. Yeah, a big cliffhanger of do we help starving children? (laughs) 
So as we can see from our little plot summary, we do have two girlies here, um, and they are leaving ra leading radically different lives. So the little bit of context that I wanted to give was just sort of about ideas about childhood, um, because obviously Samantha is allowed to just sort of roam around when she doesn't have to do needlepoint with her grandmother. And Nellie has been working in a factory, and they are both nine. And it seems that she's been working in a factory for a while and now is sent to work doing laundry and odd jobs around this house. So, yeah, notes on childhood. So there's always been, like, clearly demarcated stages of life. Um, and they were, like, marked by rituals, sort of acknowledging the movement from one stage of life into another. Um most of childhood was like about learning how to be an adult and not necessarily a time for not working or not being exposed to the world. There wasn't an, a, this like idea of like childhood innocence in the same way that there is later. Things start to really shift during the Reformation and the development of Puritanism, especially in the particularly radical strain of, of Calvinism that makes it to um, North America. For the Puritans, um, a lot of ideas are that because you don't know that this child has been elected for heaven, the assumption is just that all of the children are evil because they don't know the rules of life. They're like the most susceptible to the influence of the devil and his demons. And essentially, they have to be like beaten into submission and like heavily controlled and taught to turn away from their basic nature, which is evil. Um, in the hopes that maybe they are like one of the elect. It's like really confusing and complicated. And there's a lot of sermons for children about how they're going to die and be sent to hell and never see their parents again, which they're fun times. In the Enlightenment period, they do spend a lot of time romanticizing the innocence of childhood and the idea of the child as like a representation of the potential of the future of the state. It's a very strange time. But as industrialization took off, uh, more and more children were brought from failing farms into the city. The farms are failing as a result of monoculture um, from industrialized agriculture that followed trains across America. And you can see more about that in our break time um, this week on Patreon, which is all about trains and colonialism. But there was a disconnect in the cultural ideal of childhood and the reality of what it meant for a majority of American children, especially for the very poor. So in this period, we have the like capital P progressive movement, which in a lot of their work, we're trying to ensure that fewer children were working, especially fewer children were working in factories. And so they were developing these mostly free progressive schools. But the schooling that they were developing was instead of being dedicated to fostering children's thought and innovation, um, it was more about specific training for like the labor force and imbuing them with ideas about their particular place in this like larger progressive nation that they were building, which was again mostly to work in factories later. There were obviously, of course, shining figures in developing concepts about what childhood and education should be. And we're looking at you, Emma Goldman, my queen. But generally, much of this work that was done to protect children like Nellie was misguided at best. A lot of weird things about food, about what they should be learning in school, um, wearing, dressing, how much they should actually be interacting with their parents. It was a deeply troubled time. And I think that we see like the most accurate part of what 
the society that Samantha would be living in and what she would actually be exposed to is when the next door neighbor mother talks about when they sent Nelly away, that next time they're just going to get an immigrant who would be more hardy, see like Irish for this, you know, that's what she means. And I think like that's the most accurate depiction of like that there are just in the society, there are just some people who are meant to be used as machines and significant number of those people are children. And then there are children like Samantha. So that's a childhood context for Samantha. Yeah, so thanks for the context, Margot. Um, I have a lot of stuff about this book, beginning with, um, like, right from the start, the way Samantha's characterized is like, she's rambunctious, she splits her stockings. She's not like other girls. But she's... It's a, th- it's, it's a through line in this yeah, book. But also, she, like, most definitely is. <laughs> she just wants fancy dolls. Other girls love the menial labor of doing needlepoint for hours in silence. They love you know, sitting quietly with their grandmothers and definitely don't want to go outside and do fun things. Yes. Yeah, I think it's an interesting characterization that we get where it starts with her being like having this argument with the neighbor boy and sort of being this like, oh, if only I could just like, I just want to climb trees and have fun. And then it's like, no, you have to have perfect stockings. So... I really wanted to like Samantha a lot more because I really didn't like Kirsten like as a person. But then the first thing that she does uh, is rip up her clothes, then run upstairs to the person who apparently just like mostly lives in their house to repair their clothes. And instead of cleaning up a mess that she left in there, she just leaves it because she wants to see how many ants she can attract into the workspace of this person <laughs> who is essentially just... You want ants, Samantha? This is how we get ants? She's like yeah. trying to. I want to talk about Jessie because she's really yes. interesting because she's she's a black woman working in this white household. Jessie is the seamstress. She's a skilled professional. Um, the fact that they just keep a seamstress on retainer instead of sending clothes out is so weird. Is weird, and either that speaks to extreme wealth, or it speaks to like plot convenience. Like we can't have her go downtown to get her stocking mended. We just need someone in the house who can do it. Um, but weird that they just have a seamstress on retainer. Um, but she she does I mean, have like, the weirdest because they only have they have one cook. And they don't have like a butler or anything. He's described as like a handy, as like a just a manservant. So they have two other people He's a, who are a butler and a driver. Yeah, at one point in time, they call him a manservant. So I don't really like. I don't understand what what the positions in this house are because they have cook, man about the house, and seamstress, which is not right and they have a maid and we learn nothing we learn nothing about her maid except her name is elsa and she's in a bad mood yeah she's just mentioned once as gee i hope elsa doesn't see me with my torn stocking she's always in such a terrible mood yeah so anyway this is not the standard like group of people that would normally be this isn't your standard staff 
uh, it's super weird. And I guess just, I, don't know, I guess it sets Jesse up as being relatively disposable because she just like disappears shortly after this. Well, but also she has this extremely, like, there's something about this character where she's this black woman who is only on scene to comfort this rich white child, the rich white child of her employer, who has intentionally left a jam cookie on this woman's workspace floor. Just, I hate uh, Samantha for that. Like, I hated her uh, I hated that so that. much. Um, and yeah, but she's, she's like, her dialogue, she's either calling this kid Miss Samantha or child and we can only be grateful that the author of the book included the d in child yeah i have to say after some of the language used in the kirsten books uh i was reading jesse's dialogue and just went oh thank you so much i'm the bar as you said beforehand subterranean but we did not have to have a white woman in 1986 attempting to write AAVE for this black character. I'm like, you know what? Bar was bar was in hell, but you did clear it. It's It was better than the language used in some of Kirsten but, books. But then they named Jesse's railway porter yes. husband Lincoln. Which sure is a choice. <laughs> Lincoln, who is exclusively known for bringing back pralines for Samantha. Which... Yeah, yeah. No, Lincoln... Lincoln the railway porter exists only to give goodies to the white grandchild of his wife's and, employer. Oh, and obviously. to help them out in a pinch. Like pralines. Yeah. Like not to get too deep into this, but like he's, the black characters are wildly extraneous to this plot. Yeah. I'm not They exist only for the convenience of white characters. And I'm not really sure like what other than setting up Samantha's being completely clueless about how the world around her works and not even doing that particularly effectively. I'm not really sure what the subplot with Jesse really accomplishes because this is, it's seemingly setting up the next books to be mostly about Samantha's relationship with Nellie and that like lack of equality. And we're just not going to touch the like race thing because Nellie and Samantha do like when nobody answers Samantha about why Jesse leaves, they sneak out in the middle of the night and walk across town to wherever it is that Jesse's living in the quote unquote black part of town and like spy inside of her house. And of course they get caught and they see her baby, which leads to a bunch of questions about like how much time has passed and what Jessie looked like when she was leaving and what I don't understand Sonia and I had a wild I don't understand time the yes, last night. to be clear we have a situation in this plot where Jessie is working at the house and then one day she Just comes leaves. in and speaks to Grand Mary and says well it's time for me to leave now and Grand Mary says alright sounds good and then Samantha asks multiple people, she asks Grand Mary, she asks some of the other people who work in the house, why did Jesse leave? And all of them are just adamant that, no, this is not a topic for a child. You could never understand. So she asks Nellie and Nellie says, I don't know, seems like Jesse probably is having a baby. And that's when they sneak out to go and check if she's had a baby. But this is the problem with this timeline because we go from... Jesse is in the house, and then it seems like quite 
Soon after that, the girls sneak out to go and find Jesse. And when they get there, there is a baby in Jesse's house. The illustration makes this child look about, I don't know, eight, nine months old, like definitely not a newborn infant. This is so. But there's no indication that a huge amount of time has passed. And the other. Yeah, it, it, there's just no indication of how this time is passing. And I'm like, I can even understand, right? There are people who carry very, very small, right? And it seems like Samantha is maybe not the most observant. So I could see that maybe she did not even notice, right? Like maybe Jessie didn't actually get a, a lot larger than she was before during the pregnancy. That's not that uncommon, especially, you know she's a seamstress she can like make make fancy that you know she knows how to like alter clothes in such a way that it's going to be less visible that kind of thing but i i'm unclear on how it seems like jesse leaves gives birth and then the kids are there like what is the timeline happening like are they showing up nine months later or did jesse leave maybe well it's yeah, all or, happening or the during the summer because wrong? samantha never goes to school yeah and so so this is what I'm saying. None of this, none of the timeline makes sense to me. But the it. other thing I want to talk about here is why nobody will tell Samantha. Like, this is an ongoing thing where nobody wants to tell Samantha what's going on. Yeah. So this Because is she's supposed to be a genteel young lady, which is to say she's supposed to be professionally stupid. She's not supposed to work. She's just supposed to be dead. And... And so I understand that at this time period, saying the word pregnant yes. was incredibly vulgar. But certainly you could have said to a child yep. who's asking, why is Jessie gone away? Oh, Jessie has a baby now and she needs to look after her baby. Or, oh, Jessie's going to have a baby and she needs to get ready for her baby. Jessie is with child. She's so, in the family way. Like, there'd be You don't even have to say yeah, that. There's, you don't even have to resort to a euphemism. You can just say, she has a baby. Yeah. Lots of people have babies. So this is the... This is a thing. This is an ongoing issue that I have, which... So, yes, at the turn of the 20th century... um. And, like, I mean, the end of the 19th century is a period where, like, middle-class women and, like, above, uh, you know, women who had the luxury to not have to work did confine themselves for almost a year just to their houses if they were pregnant, um, though people did visit them. And... Uh, we have a note from our producer that there were maternity corsets until the 1920s, though a maternity corset wouldn't hide the fact that you were pregnant. It was um, a corset that was reconstructed to help support uh, your like changing body. And so it just had a lot more panels to be more flexible and stuff anyway. Um, but like there, there's this ongoing thing in historical fiction where the, it is a plot point that young women don't know anything about sex like to the point where the and no shade to julia quinn like she has my heart but if i have to read one more 
story about a woman getting married and not knowing what sex is because that is insane like yes you wouldn't talk about it like in society but it was your mother your aunts your everyone who is older than you's responsibility to ensure that you knew exactly how you got pregnant so that it did not happen to you so that men couldn't come in and trick you into doing something. This was how women protected themselves. They knew what was happening. And especially like Nellie, like especially if you're in like a working class situation, because like so many of your neighbors are going to be doing sex work. Like throughout the 18th and early 19th century, well into the 20th century, like the number, the percentage of women who were working class, who did sex work at some point in their lives for very a variety of reasons, was astoundingly high, like 50% and above high. Um, it is an insane number of women who at some point in their lives did this. And the huge families, especially for factory workers. The 19th century, early 20th century is a time period where there are the super large families so i just don't understand nelly being like the midwife came and i was taken out of the house and then there was a baby and my dad said that the midwife brings it is you, like you're going to see your mother especially if you're living in a tenement like that one yeah you're going your parents are going to be in the same room as you having sex like that's just going to be a thing and number two you're, you will see your mother's body change Especially if you guys are starving. Also, also, you are probably going to have to help deliver that baby. Yeah. <sighs> Sorry, this is a thing. This yeah, a thing. I want to talk about Nellie yeah, some more because she's kind of the heart of this thing. Like the fact that, like the Jesse thing, which drove me insane, is a subplot. Yep. But the real heart of the story is that Samantha is an exceedingly sheltered little girl. She meets Nellie, a little girl who has not had the opportunity to be sheltered, and they immediately decide to become best friends. Yeah. Which yeah, good on Samantha, I, I guess. That she's not like so inundated with the worldview of the people around her that she doesn't just write this person off as a servant. She seems to be a critical thinker, <laughs> except not in any way that would possibly interfere with the plot. <laughs> And this is, I think, my main issue with this book is that as we're reading through it, I just spent the whole time thinking, why is this story not just about Nellie? We would have had so much more historical meat and potatoes kind of to work with, right? Because that that is a fascinating, horrible, like sad story, but also a fascinating and historically illuminating story of I'm a little girl working in a factory. We live in a tenement. I'm getting sick from working in the factory. I'm nine years old. My parents send me away to go be a servant in another household. That is a plot. That has stakes. That has tension and drama. And instead we get, I am a fancy rich girl living in grandmama's house. And I'm upset that my seamstress, who we keep on retainer, has inexplicably left. Like, I just feel like we were robbed of a way better story. Yeah. Also, there's this thing about this doll, right? Yes. She wants this very expensive porcelain doll. Which is doll. incredibly meta, and again. A lot of, <laughs> yeah, well, again, a lot of the dolls but, wanting but this dolls. Is a thing. This is a thing in well, both they made of the them. first books where yes. they have, they they want, yeah, we're both 
Kirsten and Samantha have a doll of their own or get a doll. And both Kirsten and Samantha make and lose a best friend. Yeah. Right? Because Nellie gets sent away at the end. And I guess the thing about this doll is that there's this bizarre exchange where Samantha straight up just says, can I have, can I please have this doll, Grand Mary? I want this doll. Yes. And Grand Mary says, no, it's a very expensive doll. What have you possibly done to earn it? And she says, well, I could work up the money. I could earn the money to buy the doll. Yes. And her grandmother is like horrified. I imagine grandmother played by Sam the Eagle from the Muppets <laughs> being like, oh, vulgar. <laughs> like she's aghast that Samantha would possibly dirty her hands with work. Then she's like, what you can do is all these nice young lady tasks like practicing your piano and completing your needlepoint and then I'll get you the doll. And there's no... That's not different from work. So, well, I think that this is, I think it, it, to the book's credit, I think it is kind of showing this class divide, right? Because Grand Mary specifically keeps saying, well, Samantha, I'm, you're being raised to be a young lady, right? A lady doesn't go out and do work to be paid because that's, that's vulgar. That's yucky. Ladies can like do needlepoint and maybe, maybe do something involved with like the progressive movement of like let's let's help with schools for children or whatever but you're not allowed to like work for money that's that's for poor women to do you're not well, a but it poor. also sets up it sets up this image of femininity mm. right where samantha in her future if everything goes to grand mary's plan is going to be a woman who cannot work yes but she gets nice things from her husband yep. in exchange for being delightful. Yes. Like she becomes her own work. Yeah. So And I oh, which is not any of fun, that. But that's I, I it does not surprise me if you're wealthy enough in 1904 to keep a seamstress on retainer <laughs> and you have Just like family. Well, this is what I'm saying. Like they are extraordinarily wealthy people. And Samantha's a girl, and that I do think that it, if a kid is paying attention, they're going to put the two and two together and be like, wait, but there are women working. Oh, right. It's because Samantha is rich, rich. Like she is loaded. And yeah, she's not supposed to have to earn wages, basically. That's. But also, not she's for her. supposed to. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's also supposed to think about how expensive that doll yeah, yeah, is yeah. and come up with a delightful. Yes thing yeah but i want to talk about this foil to grand mary who comes in the form of uncle guard and cordelia yes yeah so samantha's an orphan both her parents are dead she lives with her maternal grandmother uh and her maternal uncle uncle guard which i was aghast to learn is short for gardener what a choice oof I thought his name was Gardner Parkington, but it's the maternal side, so he has a different last name. But, Would have been great. But anyway, Uncle Gardner shows up in his, like, shishi automobile that makes such a clang and racket up and down the street with his friend, in inverted commas, Cordelia, who is newfangled and loves to ride in the automobile and has, like, some highfalutin ideas about women being allowed to learn how to type on a typewriter. Crazy. Uh, there's a couple things that I had in my notes that I, I think are like pertinent to this story. Um, this is 1904. Um, and 
this is the like really getting to the beginning of the like first wave feminism um and what all is like entailed in in that um and it's coming off of the period of time where the separation of spheres is really yes. like de rigueur right like that's what the the end of the 19th century the second half of the 19th century is when that idea of the separation of responsibilities for the sexes and how that plays out in terms of like nationalistic ideas really is at its peak um and so like that's where like grammar is really coming into this that according to her right your job as a woman would be to keep your house uh, and to keep your house in a home yeah to manage the house as a whole job um and you would have staff and you would have all of these things and decorating the house is a full-time job because it would have to be redecorated essentially constantly um because this is like introducing this the hidden empire of america as like the u.s is an empire of consumer goods of consumer relationships and so a a big part of the work for women was making sure that you your home appropriately represented all of the various places from which you could purchase things so having things that were appropriately quote oriental yes was a big deal but this is also the period where due to industrialization, you're starting to get mass production of things yeah. like household goods, which means on the one, it's like quite easy to replace mm-hmm. your whole kitchen, your yeah. whole dining set pretty regularly because it it's not all hat. It doesn't necessarily have to be handcrafted, but also you get exactly. that status shift between something that's been mass produced and something that's been made just for your home. So you kind of have this balance of like bringing in the newfangled consumer goods that are made on these fantastic newfangled machines and being like, well, this rug was was stitched just for us. And yeah, so so this is kind of where Cordelia comes in, where she's kind of riding that wave of she has all these ideas about like it's implied that she has all these ideas yeah she doesn't she actually talk about them work. yes it's- she's way too polite to storm into that house take one look at grandmary and be like listen you oppressive old hag <laughs> let samantha be samantha can so and the other thing that i wanted to sort of talk about just before we like roll into my concerns about the peak into the past uh is that so sonia you sort of like touched on this is because we have these two girls what exactly is this book saying is appropriate to be like who is appropriate to be an American girl? Um, because if we sort of look collectively at a lot of these books, a majority of them are people who are in positions like Samantha, where it is easy to attain material goods and things like that, and that you don't have the worries of like trying to work and you don't have the worries of like the struggles of your family. Like it's they are all at least middle class. Um, I think things might get complicated with Addie, but even then. Um, and I think that this like really speaks to the 1980s of it all, because like 20 years later, you have another series of books that's supposed to teach girls about what it was to be an American girl called Dear America. And in one of those, the girl works at the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. Yep. <laughs> and so 
<laughs> Damn. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, and those are written as diaries. So they're really told from the first person and like going through like, yes, all of that. So I just like, these books are really making a specific claim. And I think that we have to consider the dolls of it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and Nellie's an immigrant too, right? Like Nellie's Irish American. Her name's Nellie yeah, O'Malley. Yeah. Absolutely, at the time, even if you were born, you know, even if you're second generation, if you're oh, born yeah. in America, you're still an. The last name O'Malley means you're still an Irish girl, no matter where you're from. I did want to say I think that this does get into this interesting though difference, right? Because there is this idea that yes, she's still Irish. But she worked in a factory and she lived, she's from the city, right? And she worked in a factory and that's why she's sick. Whereas to my understanding, at this point, most of the immigrant women and like teenage girls who are coming over, say, from Europe yeah, are you like get her girls from the countryside. The well, because they're coming from the countryside, right? Where they're going yeah. to be like hearty fresh and, and hearty. fresh air and they can work 18 hours a day cleaning your house and they're not going to be tired and they're not going to cough and get sickness all over it so there's that interesting little 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 tidbit where it's like yeah. Nellie isn't pure enough she didn't breathe the pure but, country air so that's why she's sick but also Margot points out that the dolls of the dolls yes. is important right that that the wealthy girl comes by necessity with a whole number of accessories Including the impoverished girl. Yes. Like you could buy. <laughs> the fun, yeah. Millie is permanently retired now. And I think Samantha's come in and out of retirement. Yeah, but, like, but they did so. You could friends. buy a Nelly for your Samantha. Yeah. yeah. As an accessory. Which is um, so. Like. I just, it's, I really, it's real dark. I really love. Like we'll sell the poor orphaned children as accessories because like also for the wealthy orphan exactly because like molly who's the one that i'm most familiar with because i have a molly molly comes with her like evacuated english girl <laughs> um and you could get that oh from God. like 1940s um, <laughs> and kirsten like, doesn't come with a friend because marta's dead <laughs> right yeah. like there's no good way to solve that (laughs) yeah so um i guess we can move on to the uh the peek into the past yeah Yeah, actually this is a good segue feelings about (laughs) well there's a this is a good segue into the peek into the past because to my mind that peek into the past is all about the joy of consumer goods and products at the turn of the century i think there's there's a lot of things about the book as well that we didn't talk about that are bothersome to me but the peek into the past in my ongoing frustration with the peek into the past just sort of being about like here's how people got their consumer goods in the past uh they yeah they seem to all be about buying things um my issue with uh my issue with the way that this is framed because it does specifically really like hone in on towards the end it gets into a lot about the difference in position the stark contrast between the classes um which is obviously like a a huge focus of uh the end of the 19th century well into the 20th century that like there is those who are doing very very well and those who are doing very very poorly and essentially nothing in between but 
it spends most of the time talking about how awesome it would be to be Samantha. And then it has one weird, super weird picture of this family in a tenement house. Um, and then like nothing else. That's just like the end. Um, and I don't really understand this as a pedagogical tool without sort of any context to the lasting inequality in America that like for a lot of American girls, if you are the girl, the nine-year-old who is reading this book and your parents are buying you American Girl dolls, that a significant number of your classmates would be the Nelly of this situation, that like they don't have all of this and that that should be something that you should be considering. And instead, it's just like, look at the wild inequality of the past. Good thing we live in the 80s. And it's like, yeah, things are like better in the, but like, it just, I don't understand this as a pedagogical tool if we're not going to connect this to some level of like, we need to learn about the past of America because a lot of this still exists today. And we can look towards like the troubled and like complicated things that the progressive movement did, but we can look at like what their goals were and maybe learn from them and you know, try and do something today. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, why? Margo, you're operating under the assumption that these books are intended to make the world better, not to slap a thin veneer of historical education on top of um, doll marketing project, right? Like, I think the other thing is, at no point, I, I do think that there is this fine line Especially if we're, I mean, even now, though, where people get very angry if you make that connection of like, hey, this happened in the past. And also there are things still ongoing because then it's political and you're not allowed to be political. You are just supposed to present the, the facts of the situation because in the, they do have a little, a little, a few paragraphs in the peek into the past about how yeah, Samantha's way of life is made possible by what is effectively a small army of servants and working class people living in tenements. And we will make no connection to how that system is still in many in, in many ways working today, where it's like, yeah, the current, and by current, I mean 1980s, but also 2023, like way of life is only possible because of like, extremely impoverished people working in terrible situations around the world and it's like well we can't talk about that yeah. though because now it's political yeah yeah There's yeah like but no i also wanted to say that like the version of the progressive movement we get through samantha is so defanged and apolitical yes. because i mean aunt well she's not the aunt yet but spoiler alert i think cordelia and guard are in it for the long haul yes. um but cordelia her like <sighs> out there radical feminist ideas are i should be allowed to work for a wage if i want to and maybe i should get to vote which are both ideas that by the 1980s are pretty entrenched that women if they you know that women should be allowed to get jobs not particularly great jobs like the jobs that cordelia is talking about aren't like ceo of girl boss (laughs) incorporated but like I would like to be a typist. I would like to be a teacher. I would like to be a nurse. Like professions that have not always been treated extremely well. Kind of pink collar professions, what we would say now. But yeah, so her ideas about I should be able to get a job. I should be able to vote. 
are incredibly anodyne by the 1980s. She's not talking about like temperance or eugenics or <laughs> yeah. uh, radical like public education or any of these things that were part of movements at this time. Yeah. So like uh, two things. One is that uh, just a quick note, none of those jobs were looked down on particularly until they started opening them up to middle class women, in which case they were devalued because if a woman can do it, then what's the point of paying someone for it? <laughs> um, yep. And then which happens all the time. Uh, look at academia. Um, Wait, misogyny <laughs> in my house? <laughs> uh, it's everywhere. Um, and then, yeah, the other thing is that, yes, I do not expect this book or any of these books to ever come out with, like, Cordelia's out here, you know, hanging out with anarchists and, like, I mean, that's the, so that's the American Girl book that I would love is that it is a small child who, it, like, her uncle's girlfriend is, like, a radical Russian immigrant who gets men to kill factory foremans for her but <laughs> we're never gonna get that one <laughs> no that's not who cordelia is but also like her vision of a progressive movement by the standards of the 80s the reagan 80s it's not progressive anymore and there's like of course there's no connection of like oh cordelia was fighting against the inequalities of her time so maybe you should fight against the inequalities of your time no she's made to look kind of no. silly yeah she's meant to be mrs banks from mary poppins yeah. but also like insofar as her ideas are good they're not wildly political like people across the political spectrum agree on them by the 1980s yeah. so this is a, a rapidly apolitical series right there's no and i mean again again to- even for the time like she's not she's not radical this is a kind of standard barely progressive idea at this time again like this is the period of radical anarchy of like i mean the communist party of america in this period is taking some like huge amounts of the vote um at times like over 10 percent uh which is insane for a third party in u.s politics like it's a, she like they could have done it she could be a communist she could be a communist like why not in the reagan 80s margo <laughs> i just not like, in yeah, my good just, american girly like, household yeah. I mean, i'm just saying like we could have at, a subplot where nelly unionizes i know factory, like at a, that's not gonna happen at a minimum books. though we could make her not be silly you know which like and i like and i'm pointing out all of these things that like she could be uh, and that I think would end up in things like, you know, Dear America later. Uh, yes. Even Dear yeah. America, I don't think is like particularly radical, but they do at least have characters who are not like super, super wealthy. Um, None of these books are exemplary, <laughs> but it's just interesting that you choose a character who's got every possible advantage, including the advantage of being clueless to the realities of poverty, child labor and racism. Uh Instead of the much more interesting characters who actually experience those struggles. And not just like interesting from a pedagogical perspective, but like, how is, what's Nellie doing with her family? Like, I'm curious about that more than I am about how Samantha's needlepoint is going. Yeah. But uh, yeah, again, you can't sell 
an empty coal cellar. That's the the motto. That's <laughs> almost like a Thatcherite commentary. We can't sell an empty coal oh cellar. Um, we should turn to our uh, review roundup. Oh, yeah, I don't know. What so are we out of a possible rating of five, today. what do we give Meet Samantha? Margaret or Sonia, well, do you want to start? Well, what are we? What what is our thing that we're rating it? Oh yeah, we need a category. Um, How many empty yes. coal scuttles? Yeah. Out of five empty coal cellars for Nelly. God. <laughs> How many do we give? <laughs> How many starving Irish immigrants? <laughs> While we prevaricate on our rating, just for the listeners who might be new to this episode, welcome. Hi. We rate not based on the merits of the book. Uh, so we're not here to tell you whether the book is good or bad. We're not here to tell you. I mean, we will tell you whether the book is good or bad, but, but the, like the rating system is not primarily about whether the book is good or bad. Of literature. It's not primarily about. It's not primarily about how the plot worked or the characterization. This is not about. We are literary value. Yeah. This is about historical value only. This is about is it good history and would I give it to a child to teach them history? I was going to say we are historians. We read poor writing for a <laughs> living sometimes. Exactly. This is about the historical merits. <laughs> Well, I think I'm going to start us off strong with a two empty coal scuttles out of five. You know, I think that it does at least sort of introduce kids to the concepts of this time period. And it does at least acknowledge that like, hey, Samantha, your life is possible because of the work of extremely poor people. But it loses a lot just because of everything else. Is it? Yeah, I... How about you guys? How about everyone else? Yeah, I think I'm at I think I'm at a two. I think I'm at a two as well because I was so I was so frustrated with so much of it, but also I can acknowledge that at least there seems to be a character or two. Whereas other than Papa Larson just being the worst uh there weren't like nobody had any like they you could take them out and replace them with any other generic blonde in the Kirsten books and so just by comparison <laughs> i think they have to yes. get at least one sad coal seller i'm giving it a three out of five Ooh. three out of five empty coal cellars i know i'm really shooting the moon here um I think it does a better job introducing a period, mm-hmm. and I think it does a better job introducing the inequality than Meet Kirsten mm-hmm. did. But also, I thought it packed a lot in there and did so without it feeling like a, a wild hurdle race. True. Um, that said, it loses points for the Jesse subplot being <laughs> bizarre and like. Yeah, it loses massive points for turning all the black characters into plot conveniences. Yeah, I just really don't feel like I'm they're just, coming back. Yeah, no. <sighs> and I, I'm still bitter that I didn't get to read a book about Nellie because I feel like that would have been far more interesting and informative. <laughs> and instead we get, I leave cookies around the house for fun so that the ants will infest <laughs> the sewing room. Yeah. Oh, cool, great, great, great. Um, like, I... There's there's the comedy line. It's played for comedy where like Jesse's like running around looking for ant repellent and it's like there's ants, there's yeah. ants. Yep. And we're supposed to laugh at that instead of be like this horrible <laughs> little brat. Needs to be 
Also, the one progressive thing this book does do is imply that maybe Jesse can come back and bring her baby to work, which is like that, that is wild. progressive by yeah. the standards oh, yeah. of this day. Crazy. So I have great high hopes for continued progressive development for the in the working conditions of the Parkington Grand Mary home. I look forward to Mrs. Hawkins unionizing the place. Okay. And on the happy note of the dream of a uh, union drive in the Parkington estate. Thanks, girlies! American Girlies is a production of the Baba Yaga Project. We are produced by Sam Glee Bremen, and this episode was edited by Sam Glee Bremen. This episode was mixed by Margot Mathieu. We are hosted by Sonia Ann, Margot Mathieu, and Hannah Sparwasser Soroka. Our music is composed and performed by Esther Ruth Teal. This podcast is brought to you by Patreon supporters, just like you. If you would like to support the show, please check out patreon.com slash Project for bonus content and extra goodies. We are at Project on Twitter and at the Project on TikTok and Instagram.